0: Welcome into another edition of the Stripe Show podcast. You're watching this and thinking, wait a second, it's not Wednesdays. Froggy hosts on Wednesdays. Well, it's a special edition this week. I am here on your Thursday. Normally, Travis hosts Thursdays with an instructor, and it's a lot of instructor-to-instructor talk. Well, today, you're getting a pretty average player talking to one of the best instructors in the game, uh, named, once again, one of Golf.com's top 100 instructors in the U.S., Andrew Rice, thank you so much for joining us today on the Stripe Show podcast.
1: Right. guys, great to be on. Thanks for having me. Glad we can uh, get together and banter a little bit. Looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, it'll be great. You know, it's fun. I I love uh, golf talk. I am a complete golf fanatic, golf nerd, however you want to describe it. Um, And we share uh, actually somebody that I'm friends with. His name's Doug. He kind of I saw him the other day at the range. I saw what he was working on and I said, okay, you've been seeing somebody really good with what you're working on. (laughs) And he told me that he had, he had seen you. And so uh, that's kind of how we linked up. And I, I know that, you know, Travis, but um, I've just got so many questions because golf instruction has changed so much uh, in the last 10 years that I have so many questions to ask you.
1: Let's, let's go, Frankie. I'm thankful that it's changed. Uh, I, I'm sure you are, too. Uh, it really is. We're going to continue to get better, but I feel like golf instruction is in, a, is in a better place right now, certainly than it was a decade or so ago. Oh, for sure.
0: A hundred percent, because I think that there's so much more technology in, in, in our game and that that has really helped out. But uh, as we're having this conversation, the John Deere has teed off. We've already seen the first round of the uh, Scottish Open. A lot of guys playing over. Um, playing over the Scottish open this week because the open championship is next week. So they kind of go over and get that feel a week early. Do you think that's a good thing to do to go over and start out early and, and kind of deal with the weather and, and uh, deal with the elements?
1: I would certainly do it. It would be it would be a no brainer. Uh, it looks like they're going to have quite a bit of rain this week at Renaissance in Scotland. And it's just a case of getting that rain suit on and off and the caddy getting the umbrella and the towels going and just that that whole way that works. And And you've, I'm sure, played golf in the rain. I've played golf in the rain. Yeah. It's a different animal, not to mention playing golf in the rain and the cold and the wind when we're all over here in the States getting accustomed to summertime and it's warmer and Um, it's very different. I think it's a great idea to get over there. And, uh, I know a lot of the players way back when used to go perhaps even two weeks before and play a whole little rotation and almost do like a Scotland links trip and go and play all these, all these different golf courses. I would highly encourage if I was coaching someone playing in the open championship, I would encourage them to get over there and do that. Have we seen,
0: do you know, have we seen where it has paid off for guys who have won possibly by going over and doing that and getting used to the elements rather than playing here, like you said, in the States and used to the sunshine and it's beautiful and then just get like smacked in the face by that weather. When you get there.
1: Frankie, I, I, it would be interesting to track. Uh, and nowadays we, you want to talk about golf instruction. And, and And I think so much of golf instruction has been upgraded due to knowledge and data. That would be something I'm sure somebody could track and say, this player went over early, this player didn't. And let's find a bunch of players who didn't go and a bunch of players who did go and just compare the outcomes and go, it's worthwhile going. I, I think everybody's a little bit different, uh, but I would certainly be one to favor going. Yeah,
0: I agree. I think it does make sense to go over and kind of get used to that element. Plus, you're not dealing with the jet lag and the travel and all that. Uh, heading over because those guys that are at the John Deere, I know they they're going to travel over late Sunday and get there early Monday morning, but it's still a big difference in guys who are going to spend a week or like you said, even two weeks over. So did I mean, you, Um,
1: I, I, go ahead. One, one, one comment there, Froggy. If, if you've ever been over to Europe to play golf, that first day is the toughest day of golf you'll ever play in your life because you fly overnight. Um, certainly from the East coast where we're based, it's not that long a flight. You don't really have enough time to get to sleep. You get there in the morning. You're all pumped up. You're all charged up. Uh, you you hopefully can get in your hotel room early. You can check in early, maybe take an hour nap, and then head out and play the golf course in the afternoon. Well, you, your head is spinning all day on day one. And right. so that's really, that day's gone.
0: Right, exactly. So you have fewer days to get acclimated, where if you go yeah. a week or two weeks early, you've got a much better chance. Um. Did you watch much of the match uh, yesterday afternoon?
1: I did. I did. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. Uh, Phil Mickelson is an absolute no-brainer uh, for these things, and it was. It was so great to watch Phil very covertly try to get into Bryson's head, get into Aaron Rodgers' game, um, and you know, it, it was. It was. It was a work of art in, yeah. <laughs> uh, in, in, in just trying to get into your opponent's head very nicely and very quietly. I thought uh, he did a great job. It was always good to listen to the banter um, and just cool. You know, I think they're going to learn each time. There was a, It got a little slow on the back nine. Uh, they could certainly speed it up. But some of those shots, I thought uh, Tom Brady, especially Aaron Rodgers, I thought they were fantastic. I thought they played much better this time. Uh, Tom Brady got a little loose towards the end, but Aaron Rodgers was amazing.
0: Yeah, Aaron was really good on the greens, and we'll talk about how important that is uh, here during the podcast, but I'm a huge Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. Uh, I'm very happy to have Tom Brady as my quarterback. As you know, it it paid off in a Super Bowl in the first year, but Are we finally seeing something that maybe Tom Brady's not perfect at? Because it seems that he's perfect at everything. And so maybe golf is something that he does struggle at a little bit, just like the rest of us. But (laughs) like you said, he did get a little loose on the back behind, but Aaron Rodgers was money on the greens yesterday.
1: He really was. Aaron was hitting that little butter cutter out there, driver. Um, I saw Tom Brady put up 170 mile an hour ball speed. And if you know ball speeds, that is not something to laugh at. Uh, 170 has been a goal of mine for quite a while now, and uh, I still haven't got there. But 170 ball speed is the real deal. Wow. Um, You think about Phil's top ball speed that I noticed was 178. Uh, And so for, for, for Tom Brady to put that up, I think looking at his swing, I think if Tom Brady played more, uh, we would very quickly realize that he he's he's awesome. He's awesome. He's one of those people that's awesome at everything.
0: <laughs> right, he really is. He does appear to be. But I was going to ask you that if when you look at Aaron and you look at Tom Brady swing, Tom Brady swing looks more um, fundamentally sound. It and, does. and if he played more, he would figure the he would figure the face out. Yeah, because that seems yeah. to be where the problem is. The path looks pretty good. The face is usually a little bit open when he does miss out to the right. Yes.
1: Tom Brady's got one of those swings that looks pretty. uh, Yet when you get, when you see that shot tracer taken off, you know, it seemed like there was a lot of those shots um, uh, that came about. He had some beauties, but uh, there there were a lot of those kind of shots where you would go, wow, that swing shouldn't really lead to that outcome. Uh, And I think, uh, you know, with a little bit of good instruction and just more time put in, he would, uh, he, he would straighten things out. Predictability. You look at you know Aaron Rodgers as a contrast. Uh, so many golfers uh, are looking to play better. Uh, Aaron Rodgers didn't look better. Um, his setup didn't look as correct. His swing didn't look as correct as Tom Brady's yet. Who had the predictable ball flight? Aaron Rodgers hit that beautiful little butter cutter out there. It was predictable. He knew where to aim it. He had plenty of speed, and uh, he could play some nice golf. Predictability matters.
0: Yeah, it does. It's not all about how it looks on camera. It's the you know the ball flight doesn't lie, I and mean, Aaron did hit the ball in the middle of the fairway yesterday a lot more, yeah, uh, than Tom did. And on the greens, he made almost every single putt he had a look at. He made it, which that's he why, was they, funny. why they he made was the why on the greens. He really was, um, Andrew. You know, a lot of a, a lot of people think that the best coaches in the game are coaching tour players, and we know that that's not the case. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Frank, I think most of the best coaches in the game are coaching tour players, uh, but there are a percentage of passionate coaches, I'll say, who have decided to not chase the tour, who have uh, angled their information towards the everyday golfer. And uh, I certainly have been one of those and and I aspire to help the masses. I want to help golfers just get out there and enjoy themselves. Uh, I like to think of myself as a uh, um, as an experienced seasoned, qualified coach. Um, and I know a, th- there's more than a handful of great coaches out there who don't coach tour players. Um, but I would say most of the top coaches in the game end up coaching tour players.
0: From when I first started taking lessons, we're going to go back 10, 15 years ago. And I first took my first lesson. I was told swing from the inside roll your hands over and swing out to right field. And that's what I was told. And that's what, when you would go to the golf course, that's exactly what other people were trying to do. And 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 that's the way golf instruction was taught back then. But a lot has changed. And now you hear a lot of exit low and left, swinging left, a lot of rotation. What has caused The change, almost the 180 degree change in golf instructor.
2: McGregor versus Poirier 3 all set for UFC 264 and DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC, has a knockout offer for this weekend's fight. DraftKings is offering 264 to 1 odds on a knockout in the first round during Saturday's main event. If the rubber match ends in a first round knockout, you walk away with cash. Just pick the main event fighter you think will win by first round knockout, and DraftKings Sportsbook will give you 264 to 1 odds on that fighter. That's right. Bet $1. On McGregor or Poirier to win by first round knockout, and you win $264. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. Don't worry if MMA isn't for you. DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds on promotions on basketball, hockey, and so much more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code Travis when you sign up. To turn $1 into $264 when you bet on a main event fighter to win by first round knockout. Place your bet and watch the fist fly this weekend. That's code Travis to turn $1 into $264 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com. Slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 1 800. Gambler in Indiana, call 1 800 9 with it.
1: Fergie, I think this is really what's happened with golf over the last 20 years. The same thing that's happened with golf instruction is via technology, via data, uh, our knowledge base has improved. We understand things better. We understand the value of hitting it far. We understand the value of uh, moving the handle inward and upward through impact so we can manage the face that much better. Uh, and so we have this data, we have this knowledge, and via the internet, which is the best coach out there if you know where to look, and that is the challenge for a lot of golfers and right. coaches who are looking to improve their information is knowing where to look. If you know where to look, you can find some really, really helpful information um, to help you play better, but we just understand things better via that technology, via that data. Uh, we understand how it all works, how it all fits. Mark Crossfield, a buddy of mine, he shared an interesting story. He said, Jack Nicholas comes along, and Jack Nicholas hits it far, and everyone says, "Oh, that Nicholas boy is really strong, and he's uh, a good putter, and that's why he's good." And Jack cleans up. And Jack goes away and we get an era of uh, precision golf where it's a case of golf instruction is talking about uh, resistance and keeping your feet on the ground. And we get, we get Nick Felder and uh, Nick Price and Corey Pavin and we get Tom Kite and it becomes this era where precision is so important well in the middle of this era this guy from Arkansas comes along named John Daly and just somehow steals two majors from everybody and we go man he's got great hands you know he hits it far yeah but he's got great hands and that's why he's good and that's why he won Um, and John Daly kind of fades off and we continue with a little bit of precision golf for a few years Uh, and then this kid in a red shirt starts smashing the golf ball and we start to get data, and we start to understand why Tiger Woods is so good. It's because he hits it so far. It's because he's great in controlling his irons, in controlling his approach shots. Uh, and but with that onset of that data and that knowledge, we start to understand why Jack Nicklaus was so good, why John Daly popped in and stole two majors from these great golfers in that era when John Daly was a force to be reckoned with. Uh, And we start to understand Tiger Woods and Bubba Watson and Rory McIlroy and Bryson and why they're all so good. So you look at what Phil has done. What Phil has done at the age of 51 is really incredible. He's recommitted himself to the game, but in a very different way. Uh, He's gotten in shape. He's worked hard on his speed. Um, It was awesome in the PGA to see Phil... You know, pop that one drive. I think it was on 15 or 16. Bryson tees off and Phil pops one like five yards past him. Uh, that's incredible. You know, what What a shot in the arm for Phil Mickelson and old guys like myself, you know, to be able to go, hey, it can be done. If you commit yourself to hitting it longer, and we know now that length, distance of the tee has great value simply because it gets us closer to the hole. If we're closer to the hole, we're going to be able to score better. Um, and, uh, we just understand things so much better, whether it comes to the golf swing or ground pressure or statistically what's going to help us. Uh, we understand things much better. That's only going to continue to improve as we move along. So would you say that
0: there's a greater, uh, appreciation for distance than there is accuracy now?
1: I think the data shows that, uh, certainly accuracy matters, accuracy still matters but if you look at uh the top 10 drivers stroke scanned on the pga tour uh, there's not a lot of short hitters in that group
0: no there's not no you, you know the, the days of you know zach johnson was was able to clean up two majors and that he yeah. didn't do it with length he did it with precision but yeah. now i think you're seeing that there are so many guys coming into the sport that feels like, and and every generation says this, but it really feels like right now there is so much talent at every level. What I feel like is probably deeper talent than we've ever seen before in our game.
1: Right. Yeah. I I think it's, I think it's that knowledge base. You know, I think it's that knowledge base. Um, Certainly now golf is more of a way more of a global game. We're getting players from Japan. We're getting players from Australia, South Africa, uh, South America, uh, whereas in the past, it was, you know, it was a European American game for the right. most part. Uh, but it's this, we've got the whole planet involved now The the word is out. And uh, people are tapping into that training and the, the, the ways of practicing, the ways of swinging, the ways of getting in shape, the ways of hitting a ball further. Uh, and they start to understand that stuff. And now all of a sudden we have more players that can reach their potential. And so that's a, why I think it seems that way. There, there's no doubt that the gene pool from, you know, 1970 to 2020 is the same. Right. Uh, it's just how we use those jeans and how we use those golfers and that equipment. Um, our our understanding of that is so much further down the road.
0: You know, the big thing right now uh, that everybody's talking about in modern instruction is shallowing the shaft. So at the top where the shaft is a little laid off, or even if you're across the line, that first move is to drop the shaft down to kind of lay it down a little bit before you rotate. Um, why is is, is shallowing the shaft being over discussed now? Is it too much or is that something that is really important?
1: It is something that's important. I think it's a little over discussed, you know, it gets, it gets, uh, it gets the stamp of approval on Instagram it seems. And, uh, right. and then everybody runs with it. Uh, but if you look at, if you look at golfers, uh, of every ability, Jack Nicholas, Tiger Woods, uh, you know, and then you go to your 18, 20 handicappers, uh, most higher handicapped golfers, uh, the club head. And, you know, let, let's just keep it real here. If if I've got the shaft there, the club head is more behind me. If I'm standing the shaft up, the club head is almost more in front of me. Right. And so it's really where the club head is positioned in the early part of the dance swing. We don't need a big shallowing. Tiger Woods never had a mega shallow move. Jack Nicholas never had a mega shallow move. I wouldn't say either of them were steep by any means. Uh, there's a lot of golfers who are steep, and as a result of that steepness, they struggle to be able to rotate through impact. Uh, but if we can just get every golfer getting that club head just slightly inside on the and in the early part of the downswing, now they've given themselves that ability, that incentive to be able to go ahead and rotate. And when players can rotate, uh, they can manage the face better, and controlling the face when you're swinging fast—and a lot of people can swing fast—but uh, controlling the face when you're swinging fast, that's where the gold lies.
0: So somebody like Matt Wolf needs to shallow because he is so steep going back. He's he's straight up going back, so that shallow is needs to happen. But in a, but if somebody who is tends to be laid off a little bit, they don't need to shallow as much.
1: Perfect example is Matt Wolf versus John Rahm. Okay. Matt Wolf, you know Matt Wolf's pointing the club that way. John Rahm's pointing the club that way at the top. But if you match them up, if you overlay one swing over the other, um, by the time the club gets parallel to the ground, approaching impact, uh, they're almost identical. Okay, so that's
0: why. So the shallowing aspect is 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 really more important. The more you are across the line and pointing the club for a right-handed golfer to the right of Correct. the target at the top versus somebody who's really laid off much like John Rahm is.
1: Yes, correct. And and I'll also say, uh, if if, this is important for golfers to understand. I think if you're short, if you have a short backswing Uh and your club is across the line, you don't have the time necessary to go ahead and shallow, get the club head back to the inside. Uh, You look at Phil Mickelson, uh, you look at uh, Freddie Couples is a beautiful example. Um, Freddie Couples, really long, gets that elbow up there, uh, but he takes all the time that he needs to get that club head back in the right spot that he needs it, and he can go ahead and rotate beautifully through impact. Um, Longer swings are okay across the line. Shorter swings are no good across the line simply because they don't have time to get that club head organized.
0: Now, where are you standing on, for example, knee, knee flexion? You see some players like Brooks... And some other guys, Jason Day, have tried to keep their right knee flexed on the backswing where now there seems to be a lot of you can let the right leg straighten a little bit and get your right hip a little higher on your backswing.
1: I would say in that precision era that I mentioned earlier, there was a lot of keep the flex in the, in the trail knee, um, keep both feet on the ground, uh, create a lot of that 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 stretch between the upper body and the lower body. Um, and as we look at great players through all eras, we see players that keep the flex, and we see players that uh, lose the flex, and I think really the message should be if you're successful keeping the flex, if you can get that club way back there and you hit it plenty far enough uh, and you keep the flex, go ahead, keep doing it, but I'm going to encourage the players that I teach Uh, mostly players who don't hit it far enough, mostly players who are somewhat inflexible, I'm going to encourage them to get a little bit of lengthening, a little bit of loss in that flex, in that trail leg as they get into the backswing, just to help lengthen out the backswing. The longer the backswing, the more ability the player's got to generate speed.
0: As far as spine angle goes, because spine angle seems to be something that you hear a lot of discussion about. How, How do you explain spine angle to an amateur And what needs to happen for it to be positive?
1: Uh, I think I know there's a lot of misinformation pertaining to spine angle. Uh, Spine angle, oftentimes when people say spine angle, they're referring to, well, I'm in this posture at address. I want to be in that posture at impact. I'm losing my spine angle. I'm standing up through impact. Uh, Some of the best players of all time had a little bit of that stand up. They never had a tremendous amount but some of the best players had a little bit of that loss of spine angle. Uh, it's important. I, I would explain to really any golfer, uh, not a beginner perhaps, but someone who's played a little bit of golf, how the spine works and the spine moves in so many different ways throughout the course of the the swing. We've got right side bend, left side bend, um, extension, backwards and flexion. The spine bends forwards, backwards, left and right during the backswing. It's not right. just, you know, we're not just rotating our body around this pole that's pegged in the ground.
0: Should you try to do that or no? Because I've seen a lot of players that really you see somebody, they're trying to rotate just around their spine angle, but there is a lot of movement.
1: Yeah, it, it, I would encourage people to not try to rotate around that imaginary pole. Um, that is uh, that is not a good way to, to build up a lot of energy in the backswing. It's not a good way to create a lot of speed through impact, and speed we know now matters a lot. Distance and matters. Speed is important, and we've learned a lot of this. I know you're a certified
0: uh, TrackMan guy. So, what exactly? What are the most important things we have learned from TrackMan? Because somebody like me, an average amateur, can't go spend the twenty grand that it takes to buy a TrackMan. So, what are some things that we have learned that that those of us who don't have TrackMan can can still use to our advantage?
2: Rapsodo Mobile Launch Monitor, improve your golf swing today. Pro-level launch data in the palm of your hand. It is very accurate. Within 2% of a $20,000 unit, the Rapsodo MLM app automatically tracks stats and stores video with Shot Tracer, helpful for club gapping and understanding true distances for each club. Rapsodo MLM provides immediate feedback data and creates a better practice environment not mindlessly hitting balls extremely portable cases about the size of a rangefinder and you know what you can use it both indoors and outdoors i love this launch monitor it's the rapsodo mobile launch monitor check it out at rapsodo.com R-A-P-S-O-D-O.com. rapsodo.com
1: Right, I would say hitting up on the ball—that was one of the early things that we learned from TrackMan. Hitting up on the ball with the driver is something that makes a tremendous difference. Um, you will most probably see if a player is swinging, let's say, at hundred miles an hour, and someone's hitting five degrees down, um, they're going to drive and and centered hits. Um, they're going to drive the golf ball. I'm going to say, in neutral conditions at sea level, they're going to drive the ball in the vicinity of two hundred and fifty yards. If someone's hitting up on the golf ball, it doesn't have to be a lot, two to three degrees. um, They're going to drive the golf ball with the exact same speed in the exact same conditions, exact same strike. They're going to drive the ball 275. Uh, Who wouldn't want to just scoop up that bonus 25 yards sitting on the table by learning? And it really doesn't take much. I haven't had a student that I haven't been able to convert from hitting down to hitting up. It's easy to do. Um, It's something everybody should do. I would say learn to hit up on the golf ball and spray the face. Um, That really is a tremendous tool that I like to use. I use it every day in my teaching. Uh, Some strike spray, you spray the face, um, and players get feedback as to where they're hitting the ball on the face. And you can see it on the TrackMan numbers, how much that influences not only the distance the ball goes, but also the shape of the shot. So
0: hitting it in the center and hitting up are things that we've learned are really truly important.
1: Yes, make a big make make a massive difference, a massive difference.
0: Now as far as angle angle of attack with your irons, you definitely want to still continue to hit down
1: on on your irons, correct? That is non-negotiable. Uh, with the driver, if you've got lots of speed, you can hit a couple of degrees down, you can hit a couple of degrees up, that'll be okay. With irons, it is non-negotiable, you must hit some amount down on. I would. I'm going to say this. You must hit some amount down on all shots played off the ground.
0: Oh, even so, even a fairway wood off the ground, you still even need to be hitting down.
1: Even a fairway wood. I think far too many golfers treat fairway woods with this sweep mentality, and I see players striking the golf ball really low on the face. Right. And when you hit a ball low on the face, it launches lower. I don't. I don't teach a lot of golfers who hit their fairway woods too high. Right. Uh, Most golfers are going to hit them too low. I encourage people to most golfers to get rid of a three wood. Let's get some kind of four or five wood. Even if you keep the three wood shaft in a five wood head, that's something that works out quite nicely for people. Uh, But let's work to get those fairway woods up. And the way to do that is move the impact location up the face and try to have the club head traveling slightly down. That way you can get the ball up the face, get the impact up the face, and you're going to have more loft, more energy, more height.
0: When the average amateur heads to the golf course and he's practicing on the range, as far as range time goes, because you see a lot of guys they just want to bang, bang drivers out there all day long. Yeah, Andrew, what is your opinion on what is a good practice session for an amateur at the range?
1: I love that question, Froggy. I, I, I'm going to answer it this way: the way I share the information I share with all my students is um, I've got four S's: swing, speed skill, and shot. And I would love for you, if you're going to go and practice, it's a practice session. It's not a warm-up session. You're going to spend 40 minutes to an hour hitting golf balls. Uh, I would love for you to take a window of time and dedicate that to swing. It's ultimately block practice. You're going to stand there and do drills. You're going to work on your technique. We're not really focused on where the golf ball's going too too much. It's a little bit of a role, uh, but we're working on the movement. We're working on taking ownership. Second, I want you to grab 20 golf balls. You are warmed up, you're loose. You're going to tee up your driver and you are literally going to come out of your shoes trying to smash that ball as far as you can. Uh, Ideally, I would like it for you to have some kind of feedback speed or ball speed feedback device. If you've got that, you're going to take 20 balls. You've got your personal best. You've got a goal. My goal is 170 ball speed and you're going to stand there for 20 balls and literally Come out of your shoes. There is no concern for swing. There is no concern for where the ball goes. We're just looking for speed. You've got to remind your body what it's like to move. And far too many golfers forget over the years what it's like to really swing a golf club, to really move that golf club. And that's what we're going to achieve in that session. Thirdly, skill. Uh, I look at a player like a Phil Mickelson and I go. Phil doesn't have the most technically sound golf swing in the world, um, but we know that he can really get the job done. Um, how does Phil get it done? Phil gets it done by—sorry, uh, Phil gets it done by skill. He gets out there and he can control his golf ball. And so, if if I can find somebody uh, and get them to spend some amount of time on the range where they're going to go, okay, I'm going to hit a low one, a high one, a fade, a draw. I'm going to hit it a little off the toe. Um, I'm going to hit a one-handed shot. I'm going to hit one with my eyes closed. I'm going to try to top one intentionally. Um, ultimately, good golf is all about getting the ball to match the picture in your head. Right. And in a little skill window, I encourage people to have some fun, try some different outside-the-line shots, and just see what they can do with that and go, okay, I'm learning to control my golf ball. Playing good golf is all about controlling your golf ball. In that window, you're going to step outside the lines, do some different things. It's great fun. It's very engaging. The final segment, shot. Now we're going to bridge the gap between ownership, technique, skill, speed, practice, and try to convert that into performance. This is where we bridge the gap from standing on the lesson tee to preparing to go out to play on the golf course. Uh, I would say if you hit 10 shots in your shot segment of practice – two drivers, one down this fairway down the right, one down that imaginary fairway down the left, Um, two seven irons, two pitching wedges, and two hybrids. And go pre-shot routine. You're picking, you're trying to hit your ball to the sides of certain targets. uh, And uh, you go about it that way. I think that's really a productive 40-minute to an hour-long session on the range. Swing, speed, skill, shot.
0: Now let me ask you this. Now, I'm going out for a round. I've I'm gotten got to the golf course. Uh, I know we need to stop on the driving range. We also need to hit some putts and some chips. As far as getting ready for a warm-up session, is there a certain order of clubs I should go through? Is there certain things I should do? Is there a last shot I should hit before I head to the first tee?
1: Right, I don't think so. I think everybody's different. But I have found this, that it takes people far longer to get truly – loose, properly warmed up than they might think. Uh, and so I I would, I know this from just using TrackMan for myself. Um, I can only put up max speed numbers after about 40 golf balls. Wow. Um, and I want to feel like I've got my body ready to go. I would encourage everybody, we would, I, I would leave the speed segment out. If you're warming up, I would spend, Uh, five minutes working on some swing, just doing my my swing reminders. I would hit some draws and some fades and some highs and some lows. Um, And then I would go through maybe six clubs in the bag, hitting two shots with each where I'm working on that performance. I'm I'm trying to hit to targets. I'm getting prepared to go out and perform on the golf course. Um, That's the way I would go about it. But it's gotta be, I'm gonna say this, it's gotta be a minimum of 40 full swings. That makes
0: sense. Yesterday we, uh, we spoke to uh, Chris Baker here on the podcast and, and I had asked Chris Baker, I said, do you ever find yourself when you're out playing on, on tour? Do you see something another guy's doing? And you're like, Hey, wait a second. That looks, maybe I'll try that. And he said that there are times that another, what another player's doing does get into your head and it makes you think. And he said that that's part of the game is you playing your game and not worrying about what other people are doing. Do You think that's also very key for an amateur when he's out with his buddies, he sees something somebody else is doing. Instead of trying it, you should just stick with what you're doing.
1: <laughs> yeah, that that sounds lovely. Um, that sounds lovely. I, I, I could say, you know, stick with what you're doing. But uh, you, you know and I know that ain't going to happen. No. Um, if, if your buddy uh, goes and takes a lesson and he shoots 85 and he comes out the next time and shoots 75, you're going, I need some of that action. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I I once had a um I once had a Swiss doctor come to my golf school and uh he was a 19 handicapper when he came the first year. He came for five straight years and by the time he he stopped coming, I think he was about a 6 handicap. And wow. it was amazing how many Swiss doctors started showing up in my golf schools. <laughs> These guys would come all the way over from Switzerland to see if they could get some of that. <laughs> You know what? It works though.
0: But when you, when you see somebody else play well, there are little things, but do you also agree that just because something works for one person doesn't mean it will work for you?
1: No doubt. No doubt. Yeah, for sure. Um, we're all different. Hey, we're all different, thankfully. And that that's really part of why I love coaching is it's all about interacting with people and different bodies and different experiences and different legacies, you know? And so, yeah, we're all different. Something Something that worked for your buddy, is, is, there's a strong chance it may not work for you, but it might. And so we all go, let's try it. Yeah, you know,
0: that's one thing I, I appreciate about your channel on uh, on social media is that you don't teach a golf swing. You work with each individual player and what works for player A might not work for player B and something totally different works for player C. And so that's why it is so important to go see a a true teaching professional and let them see exactly what you're doing and, uh, and, and try and improve your game. Are there, are there any training aids that you're a big believer in?
1: I love alignment rods. Yes. I mean, they're very
0: (laughs) simple, but they, they, they are, they do so much.
1: Yes. Yeah. I, I would say this. I use, there's, Uh, In all seriousness, um, there are three general training aids that I use in my teaching. I like um, alignment rods, and I use them in so, so many different ways uh, beyond alignment. Uh, I like there's a little yellow device that you can attach to the grip of your club called a swing guide. Um, Mm -hmm. It's an old, old device, and I use it two different ways. I use it the right way where the connector gets on your wrist, and I use it the wrong way where the connector gets off your wrist. Um, for s- some people who get lots of cup in the back of that lead wrist and they get the face open and very steep, um, I'll try to use it the wrong way and almost get the connector above their wrist by getting their wrist that way. Right. Um, I'll get them to feel it that way. Uh, and then, uh, my buddy Martin Chuck, he's got uh, the smart ball, uh, uh striker smart ball, that yes. ball on a lanyard that you put between your arms. Um, I see a lot, you know, a lot of people get those, those elbows a long ways apart when they get to the top, those are pretty much it. I I don't use a bunch of super technical teaching aids. Um, I like for people to make their own discoveries and try to point them towards certain things uh, without the help of overly technical teaching aids.
0: You know, as we talked about earlier yesterday, or actually two days ago in the, uh, in the match, the work around the greens was extremely important. And I think that it's very important for average tour players, whether it's a tour player, whether it's a, an amateur player, is work around the greens. Are there certain principles that you teach about short game that are important with everybody?
1: Definitely, definitely. I think we need to understand that um, I'd like the, the the soul of the club running along the ground I and it does this when we do it properly. Uh, the soul of the club runs along the ground for a lot longer time period space period than people think. Um, I, I pull my students often and I say, how long is the club in contact with the ground for um, as it hits the golf ball? And they go, well, it's one inch, two inches, uh, and it's really six to eight. If we understand wow. that, that the soul of the club is really gliding along the ground for quite a long time, we don't have to hit the golf ball first. In fact, we seldom hit the golf ball first, but that's okay. We simply want the sole of the club gliding along the ground. I don't want to digging into the ground. Um, so that if the sole's on the ground, we're not going to hit it fat. We're not going to hit it thin. And short game is all about strike. If you can strike the ball adequately, then you can hit adequate shots. If you're getting too much ground or you're missing the ground, now we're hitting those demoralizing shots that ping over the green or, or, just move two feet.
0: Right. Yeah. I've had a lot of those. I know exactly what that's like.
1: One Uh is too many. Yeah.
0: When it comes to chipping and pitching, is it more of an arms motion or is it more of a shoulder rocking motion than making sure that you're not just moving your arms back and forth and you're actually getting some
1: movement with your shoulders? It's got to be both. It's got to be both. And, and I know as human beings, we love to look for a formula. We love to go, okay, if I just lock this, lock this, lock this and allow this one thing to move, I'll be good. Uh, there's there's body rotation, there's body pivot, there's a little hint of weight shift, uh, and there's some arm swing as well. Uh, is there a lot of wrists? Is there no wrists? There's a little bit of wrists. There's some wrists. Um, and so uh, I really like to talk to people about a pivot. Let's keep the seams. If you think about the seams that run up and down the sides of our clothing, um, if you can keep those seams rotating on the way through, That'll serve to get the sole of the club gliding along the ground for those six to eight inches, depending on length of the grass, obviously, um, six to eight inches. And if we can keep those seams moving, um, we're going to be better prepared to get that correct strike and that, that, that appropriate result that we're looking for.
0: Right. You know, a lot of talk we hear. And then uh, before we let you go, I want to talk about this decade golf and, and the stats that a lot of tour players are arming themselves with that are making them better players. Can you talk about decade golf and exactly what it is and how it's helping people improve?
1: Froggy, it's, it's part of that knowledge that I was talking about earlier. And Scott Fawcett is a friend of mine. He's part of uh, our program, golf fanatics that we, we have online and um, he shares some tremendous information. Scott started out as a, he was a professional gambler, um, super off the chart, smart at math. He was a good golfer He wanted to plug in his mathematics intellect and see if he could use that with golf. And he got access to a whole bunch of data and started sifting through the data and looking at it from a strategic perspective. Uh, What would uh, knowing the probabilities of a certain player as to where they could hit the golf ball, where would be the best place for them to aim from shot to shot to shot to shot. And uh, if you understand it, it's something that can really help you take the emotion out of golf. And far too often, particularly us guys, we get out there and, and one of my famous favorite lines is, uh, I didn't come here to lay up. And <laughs> and guys love to say that, especially on golf trips. And you know, you know that they're about to make a seven or an eight as soon as right. they say that. Uh, because they're going for some hero shot. Uh, and if you understand the decade, if you understand statistics, you're going to go, no, you got like a one in 12 chance of pulling that shot off. You can hit that shot. right? Um, it's just most likely not going to happen. So let's make a different choice.
0: You know, it's funny. You see guys on on tour and they're they're on a tee, nobody's around them, and they spray it over into the left rough and, and it's under a tree. And everybody wants to run over and stand next to them while they hit the next shot where they've got to hit it under a tree, a restricted backswing, and everybody's within a foot of him. And I'm like, wait a second. When he was on the tee and had no problems, he sprayed it left. Now, you want to stand right next to him. I'm like, no, 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 no. And these guys are the best players in the world, and they know sometimes you have to take your medicine, chop it back out in the fairway, and lift. Some bogeys are good bogeys.
1: For sure, for sure. And, and we, the regular, everyday golf population, need to understand that. Um, something I share with people a lot is – a scratch golfer from 150 yards in the fairway, their average proximity is 31 feet. Someone who shoots 80, 42 feet. Someone who shoots 90, 56 feet. Wow. Where are you aiming? Uh, where are you aiming? At? And the scratch golfer should not be aiming at that tuck pin. They've got to pick out the fat side of the green and start playing, start playing more wisely. And if you can do that, uh, to me, that's low-hanging fruit. You don't have to go and practice to make those changes. Oh. You've simply got to increase your understanding to be able to make better decisions, and it's not always going to work, uh, but we understand that, and that's why we aim accordingly. We plan, strategize accordingly.
0: Right. Andrew, I really appreciate your time. If somebody wants to come see you and uh, improve their game, how do they go about doing that?
1: Roggy, thanks so much. Uh, I, I enjoyed bantering with you, Um on the web, I'm at Andrew Rice Golf, whether it's Instagram or Twitter, or uh, I've got a Facebook page. Uh, I think the best place to reach me would be andrewricegolf.com. That's my website. I've got a ton of articles uh, pertaining to the swing and videos and and all kinds of information that I share for free there. So would love to have anyone check it out or reach out if they want to come to a golf school or go on a golf trip. We do it all.
0: That's awesome. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And you know what? At least we we know a little more about golf now than we did when we started. That's for sure. And it, it, there is so much to be learned. And it's like you said, I think the key is we're, we're getting more data every single day. Yeah. And, and we're getting smarter about the golf swing. It's now, uh, you know, everybody's got a high-speed camera in their, in their hand when they've got a phone. Uh, we've learned so much about golf that we didn't know 20 years ago.
1: True, true. Let's use that information to help us shoot lower scores, have more fun.
0: Good deal. Andrew, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you tuning in and uh, we will talk to you tomorrow with the Samantha Marks happy hour. She's got the Chantel McCabe right here on the Stripe show podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks, Andrew.
2: I just want to interrupt this interview real quick and give a shout out to my friends over at encore golf encore provides some of the most cutting edge technology in a golf ball that I have ever seen. Their team in Buffalo, New York is changing the script of golf technology their perimeter weighted designs which offer players enhanced accuracy and control for every shot on the course with their award-winning elixir and avant 55 golf balls they are transforming the game for players of all skill levels visit encoregolf.com backslash travis fulton for more details about their products that are revolutionizing the game now back to the stripe show